What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Boaz was also used to describe Jephthah in Judges 11.1, Jephthah the Gileadite, a mighty man of valor and he was the son of a harlot. The phrase has nothing to do with wealth or property, but anyway, we see his name in verse one as Boaz, as, as it means, as we've seen, the, the son of strength, the son of strength. It's interesting about Boaz because his mother, Boaz's mother, is told to us who she was in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ when it says in Matthew 1, five through six, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and so forth. So Boaz was the son of the harlot, Rahab. Rahab, the harlot, is in God's book of Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, where it says in Hebrews 11.31, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And James speaks of how Rahab proved her faith when it says, uh, in James 2.25, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she that received the messengers and sent them away another way. See, in each of these cases, she's called Rahab the harlot. See, the eternal word of God is referring to Rahab, is always calling Rahab, Rahab the harlot. Now, if you and I were Rahab, <laughs> we might just say, can we just drop those last two words you know, can, can we just refer to me as maybe Rahab? Does it always have to be Rahab the harlot? You know, do, do, when do I ever get to be referred to as Rahab and not Rahab the harlot? Can I ever get just to that? Well, you know, she's not the only one with these kind of requests. I mean, look at Ruth. She's referred to in our book in Ruth 121, Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, and then Ruth 2.2, and Ruth the Moabitess said unto her. I mean, she's already said, my, your people is my people. Why do I have to be, keep on be calling called Ruth the Moabitess? And Ruth 2.21, Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth 4.5, Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth 4.10, Ruth the Moabitess. And so Ruth would say, can we just drop those last two words already? Let's get us old. You know, can I just be Ruth? You know? 
And, and how about us? You know, we are sinners saved by grace. And so like Rahab and Ruth, we would say, can we drop the sinners part and just we have to be just the saved by grace? That would be nice. Can't we just be known as saved by grace? Do we have to always be called sinners all the time? Why is Rahab always referred to as Rahab the harlot and Ruth always as Ruth the Moabitess and we're referred to as sinners saved by grace? Why? For the glory of God. That's why. It shows the grace of God that he saved a harlot and made her through Boaz to be in the line of the Messiah. It shows the grace of God that he saved a Moabitess and made her to be in the line of the Messiah. Anyone who sa anyone says, Rahab the harlot, Ruth the Moabitess, they're shining up the trophies of the grace of God. That's what they're doing. Referred to Rahab as Rahab the harlot and to Ruth as Ruth the Moabitess is referring to what Rahab and Ruth used to be. And that's such an encouragement to us because we say, I've been such a failure in life. I've been such a failure in life. What can God ever do with me? The answer is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, such a list, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor homosexuals, effeminate, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Rahab was a harlot, Ruth was a Moabitess, but they're washed, they're sanctified, they're justified. And like them, we were sinners, but we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified. And so God takes these two, son of a harlot, Boaz, Ruth the Moabitess, and he says, I just found my great-grandparents of King David. They're going to be Boaz, the son of the har Rahab the harlot, and Ruth the Moabitess. Put them in line as the great-grandparents uh, of David and in the line of the Savior is going to save us sinners. Now, speaking of referring to Ruth as the Moabitess, we come in Ruth 2.2 where it says, And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go! my daughter. Now we know that Ruth is a Moabitess, so why here in verse 2 do we have to say it again, emphasize it's Ruth the Moabitess? It's stated here so that we can feel something very real, that Ruth felt as she comes from Moab in the land of Beth, into Bethlehem, that she feels as a foreigner. She's a stranger to the Jewish people. She's an outcast. She's an outsider. She's called Ruth the Moabitess here so that our hearts can go out to her and we can, we can cry inside for the pain that she's feeling so that we can, so, so when we read about what's going to happen here, we can step back and admire the courage of her heart and what she's about to do. God has called her Ruth the Moabitess so we can see that this is Ruth the Moabitess who's going to ask Naomi if she can go and beg for food. And here we see how Naomi is in great need. No one's come to help her. None of them. We don't see any of Naomi's relatives that have brought over, you know, look, I brought you some food. I'm, you know, I made a casserole. I'm bringing it over to you. No Jewish people have come to Naomi. No one has come to help Naomi. But now we see Ruth, she's willing to help. This shows the beauty in Ruth. Ruth was not just willing to be with Naomi. Ruth was willing to work for Naomi to bring her food. Ruth was not just willing to pray with Naomi. Ruth was willing to beg for Naomi. 
and, and how this must have melted Naomi's heart as Naomi saw in her poverty that she wasn't being maintained by her family, but by the love of her Moabitess daughter-in-law. So let's put ourselves in Ruth's shoes as she says to Naomi, let me now go to the field in verse 2. When Ruth said those words to Naomi, let me now go to the field, well, let's think about what Ruth was not saying. Ruth was not saying to Naomi, let's both of us go to the field. After all, I'm not Jewish. This is your country. Come on, Naomi. If you go to the field with me, I'll go with you to the field. Let's go together to the field. She didn't say that. Ruth was saying, let me now go alone to the field. What Ruth was saying was now, I'm going to go alone. I want Give me permission to go alone to the field. What was she willing to do when she says, let me now go to the field? Ruth was saying, I'm willing to do something very hard, really hard. I'm willing to do something I never had to do in my own country. I'm really to go, I'm going to beg in the fields. So Naomi, Ruth says, Naomi, let me now go to the fields. I'm willing to go gather up leftovers in the field in the hot days of the harvest time. So Naomi, let me now go to the field. I'm willing to do a man's work among men as the only woman in the field. So Naomi, let me now go to the field. I'm willing to put myself in the dangers of being abused as a foreigner woman, all alone in the field among construction workers. <laughs> That's what she's saying. And I'm willing to go there as an enemy of the Jewish people. So Naomi, let me now go to the field. Naomi, I know it's terrorizing to go into the field of Jewish men as a despised Moabitess and not Jewish, but I'm willing to go without you as my Jewish mother-in-law. So Naomi, let me now go to the field. Shows the courage, the great courage of this woman, Ruth. When we see this great courage there, we stand back, we admire it, and we say, Lord, would you please reward Ruth by giving her a crown of courage? And knowing all these dangers that she, faced, that she faced, as we see Ruth saying, let me now go to the field alone, we see her saying to Naomi, Naomi, I know that I'm saying that I'm willing to go to the field alone, but I'm not really going alone because I know that you will be with me. I know that as I go to the field alone, that you'll be praying for me. I know you're going to do that. We've done it together. By praying for me, you'll be doing something very important. Your prayers are going to make me successful. Naomi, I know that as I go to the field alone, that you will not just be lounging around here, but you'll be praying for me, and I'm going to rely on your prayers. I'm willing to go because I know you'll be praying for me. Isn't that a picture of the relationship between us at Mission Valley Community Chapel and our missionaries? Our missionaries are like Ruth. We're like Naomi. Like Ruth, our missionaries are saying to us at the chapel, like Naomi, I'm willing to go to the mission field alone because I know that you won't be lounging around back home. I know you'll be praying for me. See, like Ed, we just call us from Israel. But we listen. And we, we're sensitive. How can we pray for Ed? Our missionaries are saying to us at the chapel, our missionaries are saying to the chapel, when I call, like Ed call, when I send those prayer letters that are read from the pulpit from the, at the board meetings and at Wednesday night prayer meetings, I know that you're going to use them to pray for me. Just as Ruth was saying to Naomi, I'm going to the field alone, but through prayer, you're going with me into the field, and through prayer, you're going to enable me in the field. 
In the same way our missionaries are saying to us, I'm going alone in the mission field, but through prayer, you're going with me. Through prayer, you're going to enable me on the mission field. So with the prayer backing of her mother-in-law, Ruth was willing to go to the field alone. And notice in verse 2 what Ruth was hoping. She said, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. So Ruth is trusting in God. And she and, Naomi, she and Naomi have been praying to God. They're praying to God to move someone's heart to show her grace. And their prayer was, oh God, cause someone to show grace. When that someone, and when that someone did show grace, then they thank God. Because Lord, I prayed for that. This shows Ruth's great reliance on prayer. When she said, let me now go, and when we see her great reliance on prayer, we say, we look at this and we admire, we say, oh, this is wonderful. Lord Jesus, would you please reward Ruth by giving her the crown of reliance on prayer? And, and then when, in verse 2, when Ruth said to Naomi, let me now go, Ruth is putting herself under the authority of Naomi. Ruth didn't have to do that. You know, Ruth could have said, uh, Naomi, uh, our, our situation's a little bleak here, and someone's got to go into the field and beg, so I'm going. And I'll be back, uh, you know, after it gets dark. But Ruth didn't do that. Ruth willingly put herself under Naomi's authority when she said, let me now go. This shows the great submission of Ruth when she submitted to the authority of Naomi and said, let me now go. And when we see this, we say, oh, Lord Jesus, would you please reward Ruth by giving her the crown of submission? See, And then we see in verse 2 that Ruth was asking to Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn, which should be grain. And actually, the Hebrew word here, is, it's, trans, it's translated corn, but it, it really means grain. I mean, it says it's the barley harvest, but anyway, again, the, the translators didn't ask me, so, you know. Anyway, so, but, the, but, the, but roots of the glean, and what that word means is left behind. In essence, it means big. And when Ruth asked Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean, she's asking Naomi for permission to beg. Um, she's asking for permission to beg. Naomi now sees Ruth as having given up on everything, and now Ruth is giving up on her right to go to the field, and she's asking Naomi for permission to go. This shows that, that Ruth was not only willing to live, but she's willing to beg for her. Great. Let me now go and glean. She's not saying, I'm going to go glean, and no one's going to stop me. And I'm going to make sure that, that they respect me as a beggar and that they give me. Because after all, I have rights even as a beggar. I'm entitled to collect. You know, humility is not, a, it's not an attitude of entitlement. Humility is a spirit of thankfulness. You know, humility is not Menachem the beggar from Fiddler on the Roof who said, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, and someone comes along and says, here, Menachem, here's one kopeck. And then Menachem says, one kopeck? Last week you gave me two kopecks. And then the giver says, I had a bad week. And Menachem says, so if you had a bad week, why should I suffer? <laughs> so when it came to begging, Ruth didn't say to Naomi, I, was not up to, 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 I, I wasn't brought up to live on crumbs. She accepted the lot that God gave her. She had the same spirit as that Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, 22, where it says, And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. 
And he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. And he answered and said, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. That's the spirit of humility that Ruth had. She didn't have the spirit of entitlement. She was thankful for whatever she was allowed to have. And we see the spirit of thankfulness in her. And, she, and especially she uses the word grace. Grace in verse 2. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And we don't deserve to be saved from the wrath of God for our sins. But God saves us by his grace, and we're thankful. And we don't deserve to be cleansed from the filthiness of our sin. But God cleanses us for, by his grace, and we're thankful. And we don't deserve to be adopted by God to be made his children. But God adopts us by his grace, and we're thankful. And as rebels against God, we don't deserve a home in heaven in God's house. But God has prepared a place for us in, in his house by his grace, and we're thankful. Which is why well, Peter said in 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. So Ruth knew that as a beggar, what she received would be by grace, and she would be thankful. That shows great humility. That's the spirit of humility there of Ruth, and that's why she used the word grace. And when we see that, we say, Lord Jesus, would you please reward Ruth with the crown of humility? This is Ruth, courageous, relying on prayer, submissive, humble. We see all this. We say, Lord Jesus, give her all those crowns. But Lord Jesus, make her to be the great-granddaughter of David, king of Israel, greatest king in Israel, David, king of Israel. We say, Lord Jesus, make Ruth to be in your line as Israel's Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he did. Now notice in verse 2 that when Ruth was asking Naomi for permission to go to the field, she was not saying that she hoped that somebody would show her grace. She was not looking for a right. She was just looking for grace. She didn't say, let me now go to the field and glean the ears in whose I, I, I should find. She said, let me go, go to the field and glean ears after him in whose sight I shall find grace. See, Ruth had this confidence. She had this confidence that God was going to take care of them. She was convinced that God would show them grace. Ruth looked around, and, and she saw what the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of in Matthew 6, 26, when he said, Behold, look, look, the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they, they sow and reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, are you not much better than they? This shows this great trust that Ruth had in God, which was the same trust that Job had when he said in, in Job 13, 15, he can kill me. He says, but though he slay me, yet will I trust in him because he's good and I'll maintain my ways before him. I'm not going to let this trial destroy my trust in God. That's what Job was saying. I'm not going to let this trial cause me to sin against God. That's what Job was saying. Ruth had this same great trust in God. And it, was as if, and, and it was this great trust in God that caused Ruth to have this great commitment 
to making the God of Israel her God and to making the people of God her people. And this causes us to step back and admire Ruth. And we look at Ruth and we say, what change happened to Ruth? What happened to her? First, we see that Ruth refused to let her circumstances make her bitter in life in the face of Naomi, who did let her circumstances make her bitter in life. You know, when she said in, in, in Ruth 1.20, Naomi says, don't call me not Naomi, call me Mara, bitterness. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And we see that in, in Naomi, the danger, and she saw, Naomi saw the danger, Ruth saw the danger of falling into Naomi trap. And we see the danger we face in life when a hard trial causes us to say, God has dealt very bitterly with me, and now I've decided to become Mara bitter in life. See, Naomi was saying, I had a great life with a wonderful husband and two wonderful sons, and God allowed them to die. Oh, bad. He could have kept them from dying, but he caused me to lose them. Now I'm bitter over that. See, that's a great danger for us, to blame God and to become bitter. I, I try to be very careful how I describe my wife's death from, from, uh, from leukemia, to not impugn God. To not say, oh, you can't believe how bad it was on me. You know, did that? God did that. No, because we have to maintain our Naomi-ness and not go to our to Mara-ness. All right. So let's think about what Ruth could have said. Ruth could have said, My husband was so amazingly wonderful, and he was my life, and he died. And she could have said, we were so young, we were so young, and didn't have a care, where did it go? You know, she could have said that. You know, so much in love with each other, oh, so passionately in love, then he died. She could have said, we were so hopeful together, we look forward to building this home of love together and having children. He was my hope, and he died. She could have said, when my husband died, my life died. When my husband died, my heart died. When my husband died, my love died. When my husband died, my hope died. And now I'm bitter at God for letting my husband die. And I'm bitter at God for taking my husband away and the love of my life. She could have said that. She could have said, I loved my Jewish husband so much that I, as a Moabitess, look what I gave up. I gave up everything to marry him. I gave up my parents. I gave up my people, I gave up my father's house, I gave up my country. When I married him, because I loved him, then he dies. And what am I left with? Nothing. There will never be another one like him. Ruth could have said, I was only married for 10 short years. Now my husband's dead, I have nothing. I gave him my heart, my husband's dead, I don't have a heart anymore. I gave, him my, gave up my life. And if Ruth had said these things, she would have become Mara, bitter, like Naomi did. But do you know what Ruth did say? Ruth said, I had to give up, and I did give up, my parents, my people, my father's house, my country, in order for me as a Moabitess to marry a Jew. And it's true that I was only married for 10 years. But I want you to know, Ruth would say, that during those short 10 years of marriage, something wonderful happened to me that makes me now say that if the cost was the death of our husband and our short 10-year marriage, then if I had to do it again, I'd do it a thousand times over to gain what I gained. Because when I came into this marriage, 
I didn't have God. But it was during this short 10-year marriage, I got God. When I came into this marriage, I could not gather with my husband in the name of Jehovah Jesus because I didn't know the name of Jehovah Jesus. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.